0: This week on the My Love of Golf podcast, we catch up with Aussie golf pro Matt Griffin. Now, Matt's a young man from the Melbourne Sandbelt area, an absolute sports lover, a mad keen Melbourne Demons fan, and one of the best young gun Aussie pros out there on tour. Playing his golf up there in Japan, spent some time in Asia and through Korea, and has done pretty well. And if you're listening to the story, you'll find out, some of the tournaments that he's played with, some of the people he's played alongside, and some of the tournaments that he's won. It was great to spend an hour or so with Matt, just learning about his whole journey. And once again, if you're a young pro or a young person aspiring to be a professional sports person, this is another one of those stories where you can learn about the dedication and absolutely what it takes to ply your trade at the highest level. Now I have to say a big congratulations to Matt and his wife, Liz, who, just after the recording of this podcast, gave birth to their beautiful baby boy, Jack. Fun times ahead for you guys. Very exciting. It was great to see the pictures. The young man looks beautiful. And we look forward to catching up with the three of you guys one day. So, Matt, best of luck for the rest of your season when you head back up to Japan. And for the rest of you, listen to this story. It's another good one. I was on the edge of my seat at moments, a little bit... uh, I even had shivers at one stage when Matt was telling a story about his New Zealand Open uh, victory. So I hope you enjoy this one. Leave us some feedback. We're off to Scotland soon, so um, probably get another uh, Roscoe and Rocket episode in and then we start into our full Scotland preparations. Enjoy the chat with Matt Griffin. Catch you next time. Matt Griffin, welcome to the My Love of Golf podcast. How are you, sir? Really good, Ross. Mate, thank you very much for uh, joining us here today. And uh, it's great to see you back in town in an exciting time of your life.
1: It is very, uh, very exciting. We're on baby, baby watch at the moment, so it could be uh, any, any, day, any day now. So, so, um, you,
0: so yourself and your lovely wife, Liz, who uh, we just met um, a couple of weeks away from baby number one.
1: Yep, yep, baby boy on the baby boy on the way, and um,
0: another another Griffin golfer.
1: Yes, I'm sure he'll have every opportunity to, to, to play golf and whatever whatever sport he likes. So,
0: well, that's exciting t- an exciting time ahead. A uh, long time ago for me, but uh, for all the new parents out there, um, we're about to we're about to see another Griffin golfer come into the world. It's exciting. So, mate, thanks for joining us. We've got you here in Melbourne on a, a pretty average day for golf, so um, it's a good day for a chat. Back in town for the birth, but on a break from Japan. When are we going back to uh, to Japan?
1: Yeah, scheduled to go back August 18. So we've um, time, time, timed it really well. It's um, I'll miss I'm going to miss a couple of events up there, but yeah. um, obviously really happy to do that. And it's going to be nice to I think if he's born on his due date, I'm home for six weeks until I have to yeah. jump on a plane. So plenty of time to time to bond and it's been nice to have a had a really good start to the year so i can go back up there and i know my status is locked away for next year so mm-hmm. can pick pick the schedule i want and um that's it's worked out really nicely
0: so let's talk a little bit about your golf now you as we just discussed you're on the japan golf tour and how long have you been playing your trade up up there in japan now it's five five years five, year, years
1: five years now it's um times times flown really
0: yeah right so You've done quite well up there. Yeah, it's been it's been a, it's it's been
1: interesting. The last sort of the last eighteen months, I've or probably the last two years, I've played really well. the mm-hmm. The first two and a half years up there were a real struggle, and I had to I just the first two years I just clung, clung onto clung my card, and mm-hmm. probably this time two years ago I was maybe sitting a hundred fiftieth on the on the money list. So um, I really had to have a good second half of the year to gain my card, and then it's been nice the last. 18, 18 months, two years to play some really good golf.
0: You didn't have any money on yourself having sixteen, P sixteen finishes in a row, as many as you've had. I'd, I'd love to see
1: the odds on that. It's been um, how many, yeah, many? how many? Three, three out of four weeks finished tied for tied for sixteenth. Yeah. So um, when you're starting in tournament with one hundred and forty four players, it's um, quite a random random event for things to go that way. But
0: so uh, sitting around. Eighth or so on the, on the yeah, the I think eight,
1: eighth eighth on the money list. So um, yeah, only only winners this year in front of me. So that's um, I guess in golf, it's really important to be able to, to be able to win and give myself a couple of chances. Hasn't quite worked out, but if I, I sort of feel if I play the golf, I have at the start of the year, at the back half, that there'll be a couple more chances there, and hopefully one of them goes my way.
0: So one of the things that I'd like to, to delve into and, and we'll come back to the start of your journey in a minute but while we're talking about Japan and life on tour, I've only ever been to Japan uh, once. It was for work and I was only there for a couple of days. I've worked for a couple of Japanese companies so I have a reasonable insight into the culture and the type of people but what is it like you know, living there week in, week out doing work in a country where, you know, English as a second language is, is not very widely spoken. What's that like? How, how hard is living in Japan?
1: It's actually, I think when you first initially start and trying to play golf up there, it's quite difficult because it takes a little bit to get used to. It's very different to what we have here. We're In Australia, we're used to space and... Um, Getting around easy, bigger hotel rooms, all that, all that type of stuff, and your own own language. But once you now, I I, f- I almost feel like I go J- Japan sort of blindfolded and 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 get around really easily. It's yeah. such a it's a great place. It's managed with 130 million people. That's amazing how they get people around. And golf courses are. We generally stay a little bit out of the main city, so we don't see a lot of Tokyo and mm. and that. But. Um, it's just one of those things. Over, I've probably spent probably over twelve months of my life there now. So, I really understand that My language skills aren't probably where they should be for where I've been trying to improve those, and um, I, I love it.
0: Do you put any extra effort into the language? Do you, do you try and you know make an effort to speak a little bit of Japanese?
1: I did a little bit, a little bit at the start. I've. I've i always said I'm a bit um language illiterate. My my wife she speaks fluent Korean, yes. so she's um she's very good at it and we did a little, little bit of learning together and she she was much better at than I was, so mm. um but the last sort of twelve months I've tried to I've got a Japanese caddy who oh, yeah. um his he's great, he speaks pretty good English, but each day we have a thing where he teaches me a new word and I'm just slowly picking up picking cool. up different things. So it's um yeah, it's nice and now that I'm there for I sort of see myself being there for a lot longer. I want to try and embrace it a bit more.
0: So that's the focus now: is to you see an opportunity to cement your the next part of your career in Japan, playing up there, doing well up there, earning a crust up there.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a great lifestyle as a yeah. I think for an Australian golfer. Obviously, it's more visible when you're in Europe and the US, but mm. Japan's a um, such a big golfing market. And as if you if you do well up there, there's plenty of money money to earn, and the lifestyle balance, especially with having a uh, almost having a young family, is yeah. I can jump on a plane and I'm um, be
0: back uh, in ten hours or so.
1: Yeah, finish tournament on Sunday, and I'm home Monday morning, and I'm um, not jet lagged or yeah. all those type of things. So that um, that's really beneficial. And then the other thing is if you if I can play well enough, and if you finish sort of top two or three in the auto merit each year, you probably get yourself on the top hundred in the world. So yeah. that then creates other opportunities to get onto yep. the US or Europe, possibly.
0: Yep. There's a few Aussies playing in Japan. There's the the Kodge, the King of Japan.
1: Yep, BJ. He's yeah. um I think he's won 15 times up there, yeah. so he's a he's had it had a great career. And um, Brad Kennedy, who's yep. another. Really solid players, always sort of top 200 in the world rankings, and he's made a great career for himself. Um, Mike Hendry, New Zealander, yeah. has been there for a, quite a while. Um, David Bransden, yeah. um Adam Bland, yeah. and uh, Anthony Quayles, a young guy, has been there the last couple of years. He's going going places.
0: Young boy from the Hunter Valley is having a crack this year for the first time. Dylan Perry,
1: yes, Dylan, and he's had a, he's had a really for a guy out of Q schools had a great, really good start. He's had sort of a couple of top ten finishes, so he's going to get gonna get starts for the rest of the year, which is um which is good for him.
0: Do the Aussies hang together or that everyone just turns up, does their own thing? Or do the Aussies get together up there on tour?
1: Yeah, we do. It's yeah. um it's a real it's almost a little family away from away from home with the good thing up there is most of the guys are sort of in there sort of mid to Mid mid thirties, early forties, so everyone's got families. So um, we will have our little WhatsApp group up there, and usually try and catch up for dinner and play practice rounds together, and yeah. go out for a, celebrate a win or good results on a Sunday night. So it's um, a nice balance.
0: What about the Japanese players? Who you know, is there any talent coming through there that you you, know, you get to see that might not be known uh, as widely, you know, to the greater golfing community? Are there some players up there that we might be likely to see that? Yeah, you know, when when this name pops up, you know you've seen them.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of talent coming through. I think you may have seen Sh- Shugo Yamahara's played a couple mm-hmm. of recent majors. He's, um he won the Autumn Merit there last year, and he's sort of mid. Not sure exactly how old he is, but he's mid mid twenties, and he's uh, he seems to be there every week in Japan. So I think he'll um, he'll go places. And there's another guy, Rikuya Hoshino, who he's probably a little bit of a step down from um, Shugo at the moment, but mm-hmm. he rips it, and he's he's just got that. Sometimes when you play with people, you see they've got that little X factor, and when, it, when you play with him, I reckon he's got it, so um, I'm sure he'll get there one day.
0: What's What's the best part about their games that you see? You know, the, 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 my When I see the guys in Japan play, you know, that the, uh, there's not a lot of access to golf that, like there is here in Melbourne. You know, so you know, your perception is that they've grown up playing golf. Maybe hitting a lot of golf balls on a range. I don't know. You know, I see a lot of stuff, a lot of range, you know, golf range activity up there. What are the strengths? Are they bombers? Are they just good short game players? Are they, you know, different to the stereotypical what we're seeing?
1: It's really interesting with with the Japanese players. They're all a bit all a bit different. Mm. You get there's a, a guy Yuki In- Inomori, who he's about five foot five and hits it probably two. F- Two forty, two fifty meters off the tee, and he just puts, hits it straight as a die. puts puts the dots off it. Right, and then you get a guy like Rikuya Hashino, who he sort of fits it a long way. He's got quite a loose golf swing, but rips it. And when he gets hot, he's he he's on. So they've they've got quite a bit of flair. The yeah. the Japanese up just across the across to Korea. They've all all the Koreans come out with. They've got this stunning golf swing that's been built on a built on a range whereas yeah. i sort of find the japanese players are all they all got their different things they yeah, all right. generally putt pretty well because we're we're lucky in japan that we play on pure greens pretty much every week you right. get guys we had a guy came down from the european tour caddy came and caddied for adam bland the other week and he's like this is these are the best greens i've seen and we're like well we we play on these every week so yeah, right. which is which is nice
0: so what a- so the greens are great what are the courses like in general that the Japan, uh, Japan Golf Tour is, is on generally sort of quite because the golf courses there
1: are, tend to be built on places where they don't really build houses so mm. they're quite quite hilly mm. um, generally lined with rough um, quite firm fast slopy greens so um, not what you would deem probably the greatest golf course architecture to play but um, it's very much a very similar most weeks it's Got to drive the ball straight. Yeah. Putt well. Yeah. Um, and away you go. I mean, that generally works for golf in general, but it's there's a high – you can't get away with the big wide one in Japan that you can in other places.
0: Yeah, right. So um, when you go back to Japan, what does the, the, the rest uh, of this year look like, mate? It's
1: pretty busy. Once we um, – they have a bit of a break in sort of July, or early August for the monsoon season because yep. it, it loves to rain up there. Yeah. Um, and then – August through the end of the year is really busy. We've got, um, I think they play maybe 14 or 15 weeks in a row. So yeah. um, I'll probably try and play 11 or 12 of those. Um, there's a US, the Zozo Championship, which is a US PGA Tour event yeah. is um, in October. So I think the leading seven on the money list qualify. I think early October that gets cut off. So sort of really try and get up there and do my best to try and qualify for that. and. And then late in the season, there's some really big events. You've got Japan Open, mm-hmm. um, Visa Teheo ta- 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 Masters, Dunlop Phoenix, um, Casio and JT Cut, which are, they always get some foreign players too. And that's
0: Are there any other co-sanctioned events on that tour?
1: That's that's all That's at all all this stage. Cool. We have a couple of co-sanctioned with the Asian tour, so yeah. I'll play Shin and Dong-A in Korea, mm-hmm. which, will be, um, which will be good. And there's another... I think um, Panasonic Open is co-sanctioned. That's in Japan with the Asian tour. So.
0: so don't head off to Korea too much anymore?
1: No, unfortunately, sort of since I've been in Japan, I've only – since I, uh, I won the Korean PGA in 2014 and I've actually only played there once since, which right. um, is a bit of a shame. It's sort of the, the schedules sort of tend to overlap and obviously – playing i feel like i'm playing enough in japan so i sort of want to get home to in in the weeks off yeah. which is um a bit of a shame because i, I lo- love love playing there so i'm looking forward to going back in in a few months
0: the sk telecoms korean pga is that, was that the tournament
1: um sk telecom open and then the i forget what the sponsor was but the korean pga were yeah separate yeah. um
0: so the sk telecom what course was that on
1: I was down at, down at Pink's Golf Club in, um, and we played in, it on the golf simulator that time. Yes, we did. <laughs> Fortunately, I played it better than the tournament <laughs> I did that, David. <laughs>
0: oh dear. So, um, let's go back to the start. So, you're a Melbourne boy, yep, Bayside, Sandbelt golfer. When did golf become a thing for you?
1: I think my, my parents have got footage of me when I was about two in the backyard wildly swinging a golf club and uh just running around hitting the ball and I think as a as most young young boys did, especially back then where whatever whatever sport it was, whatever sport it was, if it had a ball I was I was doing it kicking a footy, playing cricket and I was very lucky that um dad was um dad was a school teacher so he was able to get home and after once it sort of developed a little bit on, we are able to get down to, we once four o'clock hit, we'd go down to the local school and kick the footy in, in winter, mm-hmm. cricket, cricket ball in, in summer. And then golf would be every day around that. So,
0: so from what I, what I know of you, mate, he's, he did do a great job of raising a passionate sports person. So you love your cricket, love your footy and love your golf.
1: Yep. Love, 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 love any of that.
0: It's, um, so you're very active on Twitter. Yes, you don't, you don't, you don't mind uh, voicing your opinion on Twitter, on across those sports. Yep. Um, let's talk about your footy passion at the moment. Before we'll go back to the where did it all begin, but we'll talk about sport if that's okay. Melbourne Dees.
1: Yeah, Melbourne D's. It's been a it's been a rough ride. So uh, we we kind of thought we were coming out the other other end of that at the end of, end of last year and. Fortunately I was home for a couple of finals, which was exciting, and then it seems that since the bounce on prelim final day it's gone back the other way. So um, there's been a lot of things go wrong. I don't know exactly what the main reason for it is, but we're just hoping that it's a little blip on the yeah. on the radar.
0: And you play a bit of golf with some of the D's boys? They 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 reach out and, you know, know that you're a D's man and do they look for some uh, guidance and tips or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I was, I was quite fortunate. It was probably, oh, I think, six or seven years ago, um, Jason Louie, who um, is a fr- friend of mine, he um, he was working for, for Cobra and they, um, a few of the boys were being helped out with some clubs and he said a few of the boys wanted a, a hit down at Victoria and I, I was gladly, gladly took them down. So my brother and I took a couple of groups out and mm-hmm. um, we, we had a hit and was sort of a bit nervous playing with all these Melbourne, Melbourne boys and think i remember that day actually i think i started with about three bogeys and then i went on to have 10 birdies in the last <laughs> 15, <laughs> 15 holes so all the boys love that and um it's sort of developed a few um yes yeah, i think being sports people you it's i love to play play golf with those guys to we can talk footy and they love to play golf yeah. golf to talk talk golf so it's a it's a good relationship
0: so you said you were nervous playing with the, the Dees boys down at yeah, you know, your backyard course of Vic.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's. I guess you're playing with people that you. I guess you should go to what look up to them and and
0: watch. It's it's watch. interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, for the followers of the My Love of Golf podcast, I know that you know I've interviewed Jack Tui, who's a friend, and Dennis Armfield, and there's probably a couple. There's a handful of other guys that you know I play golf with on a semi-regular basis, and for me, you know, I I, I get it, but. It's interesting to see you know these what superstars of of the AFL game come and play golf, and all they want to do is talk about golf, and yeah. and then but the golf you know it, for you it's a nervous experience because they're idols of yours. But at the end of the day, they're just all just normal normal golfers, you know. And that's the great thing about golf; it just levels everyone, calms everyone down. You just you're just yourself on the golf course, and I think those guys appreciate you know the opportunity to play golf with the lights yourself and you've with them and um, you would have had a good day.
1: Yeah, had a, had a great day. And I think that's, that's the great thing about golf is it's the only, it's hard to think of another sport in, the, in that allows you to play with any one of any level. Like, mm. You can go – we can go out tomorrow and play. One of us can be a professional golfer. One can be a 10 handicap. One can be a 25 handicap. One can be a 40. Mm-hmm. And we can all have a match, have yeah. a great day. Yeah. Whereas there's no other sport that you can that you can do that. that. So, um, yeah, it's really cool.
0: So, uh, Big Stephen May has just um, – he's looking to uh, – he's looking for a game too, by the way.
1: Oh, yeah, I'll we'll have to – So,
0: he's, an, he's a new, new D's boy. Yeah. uh He's uh, he's a passionate golfer, and I know he's a, a listener of the podcast. So Maisie, we'll, or you know, we might tee up a game one day. So um, cricket, yep, love, love your cricket,
1: loves cricket, enjoyed, enjoyed playing junior cricket as a as a young little uh, medium fast bowler and a bit of a batsman. So All right. um, and enjoying while well, the World Cup's on at the moment. So enjoying a few late nights watching that. And yeah, um, yeah probably as a kid, if when I was. Nine or ten outside of golf it would have been to play cricket for Australia. I had Steve Waugh was a hero of mine and watch him sort of uh, bat- battle, battle, yeah. battle around with the West Indies bowling bounces at him non-stop. And
0: another another golfer, a lot of cricketers are golfers too, aren't they? So, uh, so then let's go back to that time. When did it become a golf cricket thing?
1: It's probably I've played a bit of I've played junior footy, cricket and, and golf and probably dropped off junior footy when I was sort of under 15s, I think. And um, cricket became, I was playing, played through under 16s and at that stage I'd, I'd play junior cricket in the morning and go and play Saturday afternoon, Saturday afternoon golf. So pretty busy, um, pretty busy days. But once you get to that sort of stage, it came down to the point where you had to sort of make a decision on what you wanted. What you wanted to do, and um, sort of un- under 16s, I gave up, gave up, gave up cricket to pursue golf a, a bit more, a bit more seriously.
0: So where were you playing golf at this stage?
1: I was member at, just at, at Cheltenham. Cheltenham. So, yeah, I'd literally I'd play junior cricket at Cheltenham Park Oval, and then literally almost jump the fence and be at, at the golf course. So,
0: so was Jeff Ogilvy still playing golf there? At Chel- was he at Cheltenham? youngster
1: Jeff was I sort of vaguely remember when I when I first joined Chelt I was 12 and used to dash home from school get my homework done and then dash up to dash up to golf and Mm -hmm. at that stage Jeff was um, probably he was maybe late teens and maybe at the towards the end of his amateur days so he'd often he still had a lot of mates at Chelt, so they'd come back and chip around the putting green and all that sort of stuff and then go out for a few holes and I was probably the young young kid there who um, just doing my doing my thing. So it was a really good it was a really good atmosphere with a lot of Adam Drummond, who was a good player, Matty Oldham. So quite a few so sort of good golfers around at that stage.
0: I've said it before, but a golf club uh, it's a great environment for a young a young person to to get exposed to and, and be around and, and be able to hang out at because uh, for that, that's a great example. You, you know, you're learning off other older kids and you know the adults that you have to behave in and around and, and learn manners and learn etiquette it's a it's a great environment and uh you know that would have been a pretty exciting uh, little group of players to be looking up towards and you know even though you might have been chipping and getting in their way sometimes so, yeah. to, so to speak you know because there's maybe a pecking order but uh it would have been a great environment to um to be around
1: it wasn't. I think as a young as a young kid, you you absorb so much. So you yeah. you're watching the different shots that they're trying to hit and uh, and those type of things. And then you and then you go out on the on the on the Saturday morning. You might be playing with someone in their fifties or sixties, yeah. and they really teach you about etiquette and, and doing the right things. So it's a really good balance. I think good balance for for young kids golf.
0: So then, I believe, did you go and start working, doing some work experience at uh, Royal Melbourne after that? I did,
1: yeah. So, um, dad, dad had met Bruce Green at a at a at a function one one day. So we'd been seeing Bruce since we were probably about seven or eight, um, going down to Royal Melbourne for lessons. And Bruce sort of became a bit of a mentor for for us when in our in our younger days. So, um, and when I was sixteen, Bruce said, "Come down and we'll get you get you doing some work in the in the shop, picking up the being the range rat and picking up the golf balls, filling the fridge, and doing all the jobs the the main staff didn't want to do.
0: Well, one of the, was one of the first jobs that they sent you out to do was to go and play golf.
1: Yes, I remember the first um, the first night we actually um, finished 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 work, and um, as the boys did, I think Michael Sund was down there, uh, Michael Farone, and I think a guy Grant McPherson. So they all said, "Oh, well, we're going to go out and play the we'll go out and play the first six at RM on the West Course." And um,
0: and what happened on hole number four?
1: Hole number four. Actually I can't I can't remember. Hole number four.
0: Wasn't there a hold three iron from Oh the, I I
1: did. yes, I did at work work experience. That was a little bit later. Okay. But I did okay. um right, I've
0: got my story mixed yeah,
1: up. But I did actually no, it was on the on the six six west. Six West. Sorry. So six West actually hold a hold a three iron, which was um yeah, that was that was pretty cool. So
0: <laughs> you can thank Michael Farroni for dobbing in on that story, mate.
1: Yes, mix mixed good for a few of the old old stories.
0: <laughs> did so Michael mentioned in the interview that I did with him that he worked a bit on a coaching sense with you. Did so you went from Bruce and then to Michael, and then was that before the VIS or?
1: Yeah, so I was really, really fortunate. Sort of um, built a built a really good relationship up with uh, with Mick working working at RM, and he was sort of the young young pro, sort of developing his coaching and coming up. And um, through sort of, I guess I came to golf a little bit different in that. Um, whilst I loved golf as a kid, I probably wasn't at 16, 17 or I was a decent golfer playing off two or or three, but not probably someone that the experts would say is probably going to go on to play professional golf. Mm -hmm. um, So I studied, studied hard at school and ended up going to uni and doing commerce. So um, whilst, whilst I was doing that, Mick was, Mick was essentially my coach and um, he was, he was brilliant. He sort of I credit Mick for a lot because he was able to take me from being, I guess, that 2-3 handicapper who probably a lot, of, a lot of people thought was maybe didn't have much of a future in the game to get me to the level that allowed me to get into the, the, the state teams and the VIS and all that sort of stuff. So without, without Mick's, Mick's help, it's hard to know where it really would have gone.
0: So it must have taken a fair degree of determination. To make that transition from a two handicapper into VIS, into professional world. What's the mindset like? So I'm interested in in talking about this and I don't know where it will go, but, you know, mine for me overarches everything that controls behavior on a golf course. Yep. And, uh, you know, I just started listening to uh, Joe Parent's um, uh, book on um, Zen Golf, because as you probably know, your brother's probably told you, my short game's awful. My long game's (laughs) great, but my short game's awful. So what's the mindset like, you know, when you're grinding away to handicap, have this vision of being a pro, what are you thinking?
1: I think it was, I think having that balance was really good because I didn't, I see a lot of young kids come through and it's, they're 16 and they're, I'm going to be a golfer and -hmm. there's nothing else. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think whilst I had that, dream of being a golfer I also probably understood that it's very difficult to be to get to that level and to actually to make it so I was able to probably in that time and mum and dad were really keen on me doing that as well was go to uni mm. and and get that and I probably developed a lot of good strategies through that in that I was going to uni, I was working, I was playing golf so when I played golf I had to I might at different times of the year I might have eight hours a week to be able to go out, and that was my time off from studying or doing a bit of work. So I had to go and make the most of that time. I couldn't, I didn't have all day to go to the golf course because I'd given up school at sixteen and I had nothing else to do. Yeah. And waste a lot of time. I had to make it purposeful and 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 do it do it well. Yeah. So train the right ways, get your mind right, all all those type of things. So I think that and that then when i did get to the next level and decided that golf was going to be it i think that created a really good structure for me to follow when Mm -hmm. now i did have more time i could then go well i'm going to spend so much time doing golf but i've also got to go do my physical stuff all all of that so
0: so at what point then did you go so you you're at uni doing commerce moved into the vis during that time or what was the timeline there
1: yeah, so I moved I moved to the V.I.S. right at my so – I'd finished – I think I'd finished three and a half years of uni. So yeah, right. probably the time that I decided that, okay, yeah, I really want to have a crack at this was I qualified for the Australian Open in 2004. Mm-hmm. So it was the centenary open at, um, at the Australian. Mm-hmm. And I. it was sort of – I guess the Australian Open's late November. So I'd finished – that would have been my, I think, yeah, third year of uni. So I finished third year uni, had maybe – seven or eight days to practice before the final qualified. got through regional qualifying in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Flew up to Sydney, qualified for the Australian Open. And St. Michael's was the qualifying venue, blowing an absolute gale. So it probably was a good good day for me in that I could really just knuckle down and not make... If you didn't make too many mistakes, you get through. And I qualified for that. And then you suddenly... I hadn't at that stage I didn't played a Victorian Umber, I hadn't played a Victorian Open, Australian Umber, or any of that stuff. So suddenly I'm playing the Australian Open, and it's like, wow, where yeah, this right. is this is serious. This is this is serious, yeah. and um, I'll never forget on the Wednesday because it was Centenary Open. They had Arnold Palmer, Peter Thompson, and one other player. I forget who that was. And standing there watching them tee off on the first hole was quite. Um, they weren't. This was on the Wednesday, so not but it was a sort of a ceremonial thing and it was quite um, hair stood up on the back of the neck watching that and thought this is really cool. I want to do do more of this and then getting into the tournament, I, I finished maybe 100th out of 120, 25 players or something that week and um, so it wasn't a great performance but I sort of felt that these guys are amazing but they're not in a different stratosphere type thing. If I can do the right things then... Okay. Potentially one day I could do it and that sort of opened a few doors with getting into – I then got into the state team and those type of things. So
0: So then let's talk about playing golf as a a professional and doing it week in, week out now. What is the difference between a good pro and that scratch marker at a golf club? I think it's – A scratch marker can hit it long – chip and putt they can do it all yep what's the difference
1: I think the, big, the biggest thing you get is you go from playing your local Saturday comp where you're playing the same course every time to getting onto a different course mm-hmm. and then the other thing is that this course is set up prime for that week they've got the rough up they've got the greens firm pins get pushed to the edges you've just got to be so precise and what I notice from going from, I guess you go from playing the state level amateur comps to the international amateur comps to then professional golf mm-hmm. is that one shot in amateur golf might drop you five or four or five spots. It might, in your local competition, might drop you one spot. Yeah. Professional golf, the difference between one or two shots can be going home on on Friday night to being right in contention. It's... Yeah.
0: It's, it's such a fine, such a fine margin. So how do you keep your game in check as a, as a touring golf pro? What are you doing in the times like now? like So we're having a break. How do you keep your game in check?
1: Just because I've got such a long break at the moment, I'm taking a bit of time off just to sort of refresh. and. Yep. But I'll keep sort of practising just a little bit just to make sure that I keep the, keep the feels and then um, building up to tournaments I'll, I'll i'll work that much harder so um i'm really fortunate that since sort of when i moved into the vi so i met um dennis mcdade who um i've as easily well it's hard to say who's the best coach in the world but yeah. he could easily be he's in, in the conversation yeah. so um we work really hard to manage manage my game and work with people to to improve those things so i'll just tick 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 all the boxes. So at the moment, I'm working hard on my my body because so I'm not going to spend as much time on the golf course. So I spent time with my osteo the other day, um, Dr. Tina Mayo, and we we did a full full body screening to figure out what's functional, what's dysfunctional, mm-hmm. all those things. So we get get that right, and and then it's just really, I guess, peaking for for the tournament. So um, working hard on all all the different parts of the game, but then also focusing. So this year. At the end of last year, we worked out that my ball striking was really good, putting good, short game was improving, but my wedges from sort of that 50 to 100 were pretty poor for someone trying to play the level I'm at. So the start of this year has been really focusing on getting to the, getting to the range and, yep. and doing extra work on that. So I'll probably in the next few weeks do a bit more work on that.
0: And so when you say wedges you know, had, to, had to be um, improved... What sort of distance, you have know, proximity from hole and distance out are you sort of talking about? You know, like looking at a strokes game perspective or whatever, however they measure it. What are you talking about going from how far from the pin to how close to the pin? What was the difference?
1: Yeah, well, probably hitting it to maybe an average of like 15 to 20 foot, hitting it to sort of that 10 foot range. Because yeah. um, they're really that, – that's where you have to score. Yeah, And then it's also – you. When you're playing like, sort of places like Japan, a lot a lot of times you miss the fairway. It's well, I have missed the fairway I'm in the rough. I can't hit on the green. So where's the best spot to lay up to to then hit a wedge to then get away with? Um, so working out
0: where what that distance is, what that what, distance yeah.
1: is, and, and then really nailing those because that's they tend to be the if you can nail those those shots and make turn those into making two or th- one or two more birdies around. It's it's such a, it's a big difference, and yes. I've even noticed in the Bit of work that I've done at the start of the year that that bit of improvements really really helped. Paid off.
0: So fitness, obviously impo- important. It's a massive part of uh, a lot of the top level guys that we see on tour now. You know, you look at the two guys on the US Open yep. this weekend, Brooks Koepka and Gary Woodland. You know, they're almost like body doubles of each other. You know, they're just machines. Um, important to you. What what sort of things are you do you do on a fitness level?
1: Yeah, really really important. It's um, I guess trying to build up that strength and also build up a body that can deal with all the travel and yeah. the and the constant sort of hitting of golf balls so yeah. you're always trying to I guess you get get yourself back to neutral cuz golf the golf positions put you in a funny different sort of sort of spot yeah. I guess with um with swings and that, and that type of thing so just trying to um yeah build build a bit of strength so I've got a strength program that I work through and then also a flexibility program that yeah that gets me um gets me going because so I'm, I'm I'm never going to be the longest guy but if i can be somewhere up there that's long enough to to reach some par fives and two and get a couple of shorter ones in my hand if i can if i can do that and then my general straightness off the tee will hold you in good stead, hold me in good stead.
0: so you you're a, a golfing family your young brother's a golf pro as well young, yes and <laughs> dan the man g'day dan so uh you catch up on golf. Do you talk talk a lot of, of golf together? Co- he's, he's focused now on his coaching, which I think he's doing really well at. Yes, yeah, um, he's doing
1: doing really well with Griffin Golf Services there yes. down at um, Morak Morak Driving Range, yeah. and um, yeah, we, we, we always always talk golf, and um, it's interesting to bounce a few ideas off off Dan. And um, they've been really good at Morak. I've been actually working on my wedges out there and right. a little sort of pitching area that I that I can use. So that's been um, that's been good, and it was great as well playing. I guess playing golf as a as a jun- junior with getting out and having a hit with Dan. We don't play as much as we should these days, but. Um,
0: and you let Dan caddy for you a couple of times there.
1: Yep, yeah, Dan's caddy for me a few yeah. times. He's
0: Kingston Heath, uh, Kingston Heath. What was that? The yep at the Masters, Masters? with oh,
1: yeah. um, when the one Tiger Woods came down and right. he's caddied for me another Masters and a couple of years ago he came up and caddied for me at the. Um, HSBC champions in China which was uh which was a good good experience so is, is he's, he handy on the bag yeah he does a good job yeah yeah he's he knows he's nice to be able to ask a question of someone who's a re- really good player themselves and yeah. um I can give you give you advice and I think it's sometimes the brotherly relationship's a bit hard it's harder for him to sometimes maybe tell me something that I shouldn't be doing because family's always a bit more difficult that way but
0: well, I know he's um, very proud of you, and he looks up to you a lot. Yeah. I know that, and uh, I remember when you were at the the Open, two thousand seventeen. Yep. What was that? Uh, at um, Birkdale. Birkdale, Birkdale, Birkdale. He he came over for the trip and uh, went to support you around there. What what was playing at yeah. the Open? Like that experience.
1: See, it was amazing. Yeah. It was um, to get to get to somewhere like that to play one of the majors was really was really really good, and it, it makes you really makes you drive to want to get back to get back to more and um it was such a incredible venue that had stands everywhere and um big crowds and I'll never forget that morning on the first on the first day because you know I guess I go up to Japan I don't know a lot of people that are close to me are sort of watching what you're doing but you get to the open and you know the golfing world's watching and you've got Foxtel in Australia that's got it on and everyone's sort of following the Aussie score so you really I guess there's a bit of a heightened awareness of um what you're doing and that whole morning the Birkdale for people that have been there will know how difficult a first tee shot that is but there's a massive pot bunker on the left and out of bounds straight down the right and it's probably a 430 meter par four so it's a it's a stern yeah, just, a stern just, test just to, an easy, easy opener To ease into And I remember walking over. You walk over a bridge To the first tee And walking down to the tee And It was such a conflicting Emotions In that oh, Like this is What you've dreamt of Your whole whole life But Quietly there thinking "Geez, this is a, <laughs> This is a tough Tough shot You're half shaking And mm. And it's just Please just get Club face on the ball And just Just somewhere down there And in play And I'm happy to Oh well, let's go from there And Unfortunately, I've employed most of my mental tactics and um, ripped a nice drive straight down the middle and away we went. You're away. So are um, Yeah, it was a great great experience, but also a bit... I was pretty... I remember after it, I was really disappointed in that I played quite well the first day mm. and then day two was quite difficult. Yeah was doing, doing really well through I think I was probably tied for 25th or something after about 10 or 11 holes and then um, I hit a poor shot on the 12th, made triple and um, unravelled a bit from there and missed cut by a couple of shots. So that really it, – it really – that was almost – that was – that sort of start of that year It had quite a tough start to the year and I really – from then it golf really turned around, which was, which was nice.
0: Good. So the Lynx golf experience, it's pretty good, isn't it? Oh, it's great! It's um, for me. That's where
1: golf is. I love the mm-hmm. love the love the old course and love all those. Have you it's just played golf. the old course? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Played fortunate to play a few Dunhill links yeah. and played the um, links trophy as an amateur there. And it's uh, it's just a every golfer. If you're keen on your golf, you have to go there because it's just a different. Even if you don't play. It's just a special, special place.
0: It's a great town. So I was at the Open uh, in 2016, uh, Troon, and uh, that was Mickelson and Stenson when they had that massive shootout at the end of the day. So that's my only ever um, major tournament experience, and it was in Scotland, which is my second home country, and it was just a great place to be, and I can only imagine, you know, what you were going through on that first tee, because I I remember sitting there watching, you know, the uh opening hole at true and same sort of thing you know water down the right you know, the beach down the right a few pot bunkers and uh and trying to put yourself in the mind's eye of what those guys are going through and you've just articulated it extremely well but what a, what a what a setup they do you know the open oh it's you know, some, something else that's the stands just, yeah that you can just go in and out of you know that you don't have to pay to get into these stands you can go and sit there yep can I tell you a funny story about the stands well, it was funny to me. It might not be funny to the listeners. So on the last day, I'm thinking, I want to go and watch the Open, uh, the postage stamp, you know, the path three at Troon there, the little short one. Yep. And I walked very fastly down to the stand beside the green next to the coffin bunker. And I, I got like P1 on the, on the racetrack grid. I was the bottom row, the front seat. I had my sandwiches in my bag. I'm set this is great how good is this I haven't haven't paid for this seat and I've got the best seat in the place and it was like 8 o'clock in the morning a few people started to come through the rain started to come it turned from 20 degrees to minus 5 degrees (laughs) I thought I've got to go to the toilet oh dear so I had to get up and leave my seat and someone came and took it and that was it that was it. Just <laughs> didn't time your run quite well. well. I, didn't time, I didn't time a run at all, but I just remember being excited, you know, running for the best position, and I got there, and I thought, oh, no, now I've got to leave. Okay. But, yeah, the beauty is that you can go to any place around the, the Open, and uh, I'm so looking forward to the Open um, coming up. Do you, do you watch and a bit should, of tournament golf?
1: Yeah, especially the um, – I really enjoy the majors because they're generally a lot of my passion for – I've always had a passion for golf course architecture, yes. so um, I really – I like the majors because they generally play it on the on the great golf courses so um I'll I'll probably be nursing a baby that time so we might sit up and watch a bit of um bit of the open which always regardless of if you're playing or aroundabouts it's a great taunt to watch and yeah. Port Rush will be a really um a special a special one to watch in yeah. Northern Ireland cuz yeah. it's um I haven't seen a lot of that golf course so I look forward to seeing it on on TV and hopefully they get a bit of if I was playing i 'd be hoping for nice weather, but sitting on the catch, I hope for a bit of uh you wanted to get a bit bit of, of tough stuff. stuff
0: yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely uh, i 've not been up there um, i 've been up there i 've not played golf there i didn't get to go to the uh, the golf course but um but i can 't wait for that and also the the uh, Irish Open at Lynch, which I have played hmm. and uh, another unbelievable golfing destination yeah i don 't think
1: you can as a, as a golfer if you can do a golf trip you just have to do it to yeah. Because even if you don't play the great golf courses over there, there's so many really good lynx style courses that yeah. through Scotland and Ireland that you can spend you could spend months over there if you really wanted to.
0: Can we talk about the U.S. Open that was just just finished?
1: Yeah. What did you think? I thought I thought it was a really good tournament. They they matched the the setup. I felt they got the setup. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk over the years about the U.S. Open setup, but they nailed they nailed the setup. Given that probably the scoring's a little bit lower than they would like but they had perfect weather for the four days so scoring's always going to be a bit bit better and um, geez those greens are tiny over there at Pebble they really end with a lot of slope on them too so you're going to be in the right spot so I thought Gary Woodlands that shot on 14 was really he's the 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 long the the three three went up the hill to the par five because there's out of bounds left and right there that was sometimes there's the Phil saying you've just at some point in a time you just have to hit a shot and he hit the shot at the time and that was sort of gave him that extra buffer.
0: As just a, a golf fan, you know, and you try and put yourself in, in that position and think about what he must have been going through. You know, you've got Brooks Kepka chasing you, who's on a mission for a three-peat of US Open wins. For me, I think it, it was amazing performance over that closing 14, 15, 16, 17, yeah. uh, 18. Um, 18. It was all done by 18, but you know, still rolled a birdie putt in. Um, yeah. Just, just uh, amazing.
1: That um, was. And that, I th- don't think people realise how good his chip on 17 was either. Off the green. Off, off the green. Because you get that chip, you've got a When you've got such a tight lie, you've, your margin for error is so much smaller than it is off a harder harder lie. So if he was centre or maybe a millimetre wrong the other, either side, he either blades it or gets it fat and it goes off but he just got it just right and under that, under that heat that was, was really impressive and he's been, I mean Gary's always been known as a, as a bomber mm. um, with probably a bit of a weak short game so I think from what I understand he's worked really hard the last 12 months with Pete Cowan on his short game and I guess you, you see the rewards.
0: Pete Cowan seems to be a bit of a short game whisperer yeah? Do you know? Do you know, know much of Pete?
1: Not, not, a, not a huge amount. I know a lot of the guys that he's worked with have um, obviously um, improved and been really good. But uh, yeah, that obviously shows with a number of players he's had that there's some, something there.
0: So, who have been some of the interesting people that you've had the opportunity to play with and alongside?
1: That's a few interesting ones. John, I got to play with John Daly back in China in I think 2013, yeah. and that was that was a really interesting. One Because he's the, just the nicest guy. I remember walking down yeah. the first hole and he – I don't know how he'd found out, whether he'd spoken to my caddy or whatever, but he knew a few things that I'd done recently and he sort of said well done on that and just a really good guy to guy to play with. And I remember playing with him and just thinking he his ball striking was just off the charts how – wasn't necessarily the length that he was hitting it, but some of the iron shots that he was able to hit and it was just, just – you could see how much talent the guy had, yeah. which was really – um which was really cool and another guy I um, played nine holes with Bubba Watson at the open in, the pra- in a practice round yeah. put my name down with um, Bads Aaron Baddeley and, and Bubba decides, decided he, he wanted to hit as well which was um, he joined in he joined he, you he joined us Fantastic. so that was um, and just to see a guy that everyone these days generally hits the ball straight because the ball Doesn't really allow you to move it that much in the air, but the amount he moves it in the air is just—and both ways too. Yeah, I can I can move the ball a lot right to left, but I really struggle to move it significantly left to right. But (laughs) he can move it. Just his hands are quite incredible. Hands,
0: feet—it's all going on, isn't it? Yeah,
1: it's just all so
0: so natural and fluid. Do you find yourself having to snap out of you know playing with Bubba Watson here? You know, concentrate. I've got a job to do. Is that hard to, to go, go, oh, Bubba? You know, watch what he's doing, or and, but then just go back and focus on you know you golfing your ball.
1: I think definitely initially in my career, I felt that was probably a bit bit harder because you you idolise so many of these guys, and you want to when you especially when you get paired with it's probably a little bit like when you play when I played with the Melbourne guys the first mm. time. It's you want to prove almost to them that you're a good player, not that. They realise, okay, this this they know you're a good. You, this guy's a good player. He's if he has a bad day today, well, it's just a bad day. You almost think that I have to play well to get respect of those those people. Yeah. And I think initially I did maybe did that a little bit. I remember getting paired with um, Jeff Jeff Ogilvie and Stuart Appleby at the um, Masters at Victoria. I had a few good results, and um, I just didn't really. I didn't play my didn't play my golf I was just a bit tired all day sort of probably trying to impress them mm. whereas now these days it's you get on the tee and it's yeah you're, uh, legit, you're, yeah, you're, 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 yeah. you're doing a job and I'm, and you, I'm here I'm yeah. here to compete and yeah. um, and hopefully my best golf is good enough to good enough to beat you
0: John Daly so just to back you up on the John Daly and, and what a legend he is so once again at Troon I was just sitting there at the end of the day just you know grabbing a seat at the driving range and they've got this, as you know, awesome setups for at the driving range where they've got like full track man on everyone. You know, you can see every shot that they hit and John Daly was there post round hitting some balls and as were a number of the guys, um, he finished his practice and he walked down and he said hello to all of the guys that were on the range. I think the one that stands out that I do remember was Matteo Manassaro. Yep. He was obviously a bit younger then he's still a young guy and all of Matteo Manassaro's posse all they wanted to do was grab a selfie with John Daly <laughs> and he just went down and, and you know shook everyone's hand high fived you know slapped uh, yeah, and got fo- selfies with them all and yeah. they all wanted to get a photo with John not John with them and, yeah. he, and it took him another 20-30 minutes to get out of there yeah. and uh, you know you don't, see, you don't see that with everyone but he obviously realises that he's you know he is who he is and he's got something else to give and that's and, uh, no, a good little story about John yeah so mate what else can we talk about? The, I heard you once talking with the guys, uh, with Andy Marr, and I think it was this year at the New Zealand Open, which you've been yep. previous winner of. And when you won, that last shot into the 18th green. Yep. What's that like?
1: What do you quite, you're almost It's 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 funny, when you, when you mention it... You, such a great memory that I can almost, I can picture it in my mind. I can close my eyes and I can literally go back to all the feels of, of that shot. That's, mm-hmm. um, it's funny, golf. golf's funny. Everyone talks about the bubble that I think Sergio was the first guy to speak about the bubble that you get into when, <clears throat> when you get in contention, it's almost like nothing else matters. And you really, I can be on a Sunday in a tournament tied for 30th and I'm almost more nervous going up the last than I am if I'm leading the tournament or finish or, or second for some reason it's almost like you just, you get that you're not worried about the bad stuff it's what can I do to win mm. and I remember getting down that nailing we sort of, the good thing of that tournament as well was that um, Tanihara and myself had actually, we'd really separate ourselves from the field so yeah. I think I birdied 15 and I was one behind at that stage and I knew that <clears throat> Basically, third was five or six shots behind. So I'm like, okay, this is just let the chain off and we're gonna go for everything now. Cause he's playing really well. He's probably not gonna come back to me, so I've I've really got to make make a move. So I'd done that on 16-17. I'd I'd gone for the shots and hit good shots and just hadn't quite made the putt. So I'm still one behind got my last and eighteen at the hills is a good hole for me because there's a bunker left and it kind of runs off on the right side of the fairway. It runs through into the rough. And if you hit it in the rough on the right, you've got no shot. Whereas for me, I can hit it almost down the middle. If I pull it a touch, it goes down the hill, down to 100. And if I kind of come out of it a touch, it doesn't, go th- doesn't run through the fairway. So I knew that. Get up there, rip the tee shot, goes straight down the left side. So I'm in down the slot, 115 out from the flag in prime position and... Tony Hurry, it's his driver through the fairway and the rough, so suddenly he can't hit the green. So yes. he's, I'm thinking, every chance he's probably very unlikely to make birdie. So you make birdie, you get into a playoff, and um, anyway, he dumps in the front trap, and then we've got old, old um, <coughs> the um, guy we're playing with in the amateur. He's doing the harker to the crowd. So I'm sitting there oh, waiting, geez. in the, and it almost like a lot of people said to me that must have been really hard to do, hard to deal with, but it almost helped because I looked at him and it sort of made me laugh because it's like how ridiculous is this I'm trying to win the New Zealand over here and I have to wait for a guy doing the hark to the crowd while we're about to hit into the green so oh dear <laughs> again get over the shot and as soon as you just get that feeling when I mean all golfers get it when you hit that shot that's just right you get this feeling that oh that's good and it it has to be precise it's a massive bunker short and it's green's quite firm so gets up in the air and I hear it land on the green and I hear there's quite a big crowd and you hear the crowd really sort of go up and just this rush of of adrenaline goes through the body and it's like, oh, here we go. We're a massive chance here. And then almost as soon as that happened, I'm like, okay, to hit this putt well, we've got to get our heart rate back down and we've got Mm -hmm. to be calm to do that. So I've got my amateur partner running and slapping me on the back going, great shot. I'm I'm just kind of like... Just yeah. Just breathe and 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 do all do all that to get myself in the right position to, to hit a, hit a good putt. And um, fortunately, Hedeto hit a good he hit a good putt, but it just just missed, and um, I was able to get over my putt and get myself into. Obviously, still you've got a lot of adrenaline running through you, so you can't get all of that out. But I'd got myself to a level where I could hit a good putt and hit it
0: right center, and
1: it stayed right center, and in she went. So uh, mate,
0: I, I I do remember it, but um just hearing it again, you know, and you say you got adrenaline, you get I oh, mate, I got adrenaline rush. Just hearing that story is it's it's uh it's awesome. Yeah,
1: it's a pretty cool – because I had my, my wife was there, mum and dad had come yeah. over, we had a lot of friends friends there. Unfortunately Dan was Dan wasn't there which has reminded me a few times because I said it's great to have all my friends and family here but (laughs) you
0: missed the d-man
1: but I missed I missed missed Dan but Dan and Lauren but um yeah it's a really it's something that I'm, I'm sure I'll that will be with me until the day that I
0: day that I die so well and a sensational venue and place you know yeah it's just spectacular there it's We do have a couple of listeners in uh, in the states, and I keep reminding uh, the people in Maryland and Connecticut and some of the other tri-state areas. But uh, if you get down to this part of the world, make sure you go to New Zealand. Make sure you go to Queenstown, because uh, Jack's Point, Millbrook, the Hills, and uh, and Arrowtown, which is uh, the lesser known, but
1: yeah, uh, Arrowtowns, that's a must. It's I
0: think it's probably only twenty or thirty bucks to play too, but. Just do it. Just put that on your southern hemisphere uh, destination after the Melbourne Sandbelt, of course, because we're all about the Melbourne Sandbelt down here. Yeah. Um, now, a couple of things that will before we finish off, because um, you've been very generous with your time talking about Melbourne Sandbelt. We've got the President's Cup this year at Royal Melbourne. You're a Royal Melbourne specialist. You know, you, you, I think you've won every tournament that you've played in there. Is that right? Yeah, I've, had,
1: I've had a good record. I think I played four Royal Melbourne purses, which was a pro-am they had there. Yeah. I won three and maybe finished third the other time. And then we had the Masters there in 2014. I think I finished sixth or something. So I guess growing up there, it's Royal Melbourne such a place that you need local knowledge, I think. So I've always, and I think it's one of those courses that really gets you, gets you going because you love, love playing there. You can play some tournaments around courses that are a bit boring and, mm. It's like this is a real job this week, but Royal Melbourne it's just great to be out there. So Do you have a favourite
0: uh, do you have a favourite sandbelt course?
1: Oh Royal Melbourne. Yeah. Easily.
0: Yeah, yeah I think. Really. Um
1: yeah, it's for me Royal Melbourne's on a just it's just a just separates itself a little bit from and then I'd go Kingston Heath, yep. um Vic Metro, Peninsula and Peninsula's right in the conversation now. It's yep. with all the work they've done there. Um we're very very lucky in Melbourne there's golf everywhere.
0: So golf architecture, Royal Melbourne, uh, with his uh, Mackenzie influence there. What, what's your other architectural influences in golf or interests?
1: I uh, uh, play a bit of golf with Mike Clayton and mm-hmm. I really like speaking to Mike about the work that work that they do. Yep. Um, I sort of find it really, really, um, really interesting. Um, Dr. Ellis Mackenzie, and then... Um, So interesting, sort of looking at some of those like Tillinghouse work and Mm. the different different guys have got some some really interesting thing and stuff, and then and really the link links golf. I just I think my influence. I just love the strategy. I think Mm. golf should be it's becoming a little bit. And you look at the U.S. Open. It's whilst it was a great tournament. Pebble Pebble probably adds a bit of strategy, whereas probably you go back to Beth Page say and. Beth Page is just about brute force and just hitting it as hard as you can and just trying to hit the fairway. You're not trying to hit the left side of the fairway, you're not trying to hit the right side of the fairway. You're just trying to hit the fairway. Whereas golf, when you look at St Andrews, should be I've got all this room to play with, but this is where I need to go to get to the next shot. So that's probably the biggest influence that and Royal Melbourne when it's firm and fast and all the sandbelt courses force you to do that. So
0: yeah. I think How will they set uh, Royal Melbourne up uh, this year are they going to narrow the fairways are they going to soften them are they going to the greens are going to be obviously the defence the hard yeah. fast typical Royal Melbourne is there anything else you think that they'll do I think it's in- interesting uh, uh, I hope they set the fairways up quite
1: fast so I mean the hard, fortunately Royal Melbourne being on the shorter side, they've had to put in a grass that slows the ball down. Whereas I think probably for the internationals to, given they've got the home ground advantage, they would want to make it play quite firm and fast. Mm -hmm. And hopefully they get the, I think in speaking to Mike and even maybe with Jeff's influence, they are probably the organisers will want to get the greens really fast. But I hope what they do is actually make them firm, but not too fast. Because you notice when you, whenever you go play the US tour, the greens are, absolutely lightning every week so I think the faster greens are actually playing to play into the US hands so really firm but play, a playable speed I think and then you get more access to better pins and yeah. different stuff so
0: so your favourite golf course around the world you know if you had to pick one I know it's a hard question to answer but if you had to pick one what would you go be the, the old course the old course
1: St Andrews I think for one the golf course and then the experience I yeah. think the when you turn when you turn and you hit sort of twelve, thirteen, and you start to play your way back into the town and grab your golf, put your golf clubs over your shoulder after a, a round, and then go up to a local bar is pretty. That's a pretty cool, cool experience. So.
0: I think the Jigger Inn is uh, the one there that's next to the Old Course Hotel. Yep, on seventeen. I think I uh, I played my shot from about an inch inside the boundary wall from the Jigger Inn. I could al- I could almost taken taken the pipe. <laughs> from the people there in the beer garden watching me trying to put put it on the green on on the road hole.
1: It's impressive you you followed the strategy right down to the <laughs> to the way it should be. Get as close to
0: that wall as you can, and then yeah, and then come back. To yeah. The, yeah. So uh, we talked about my bad short game. So I dribbled my eight iron up over the front of the uh, road hole green, and it just ended up to the left behind the road hole bunker. And that's a tough shot. Correct. The next was. Just beside the road, hell bunker back down six. My visions of seventy-five turned into seventy-nine in a heartbeat. <laughs> but that's golf, eh? So, mate, slow play. Topic for you. Yes. Yeah. Not you, you've a. Been outspoken on that.
1: Not a. Not a fan of it. I, I think it's it's selfish. Um, we're fortunate in Japan; they they're really onto it. Yeah. So we play in. Probably as far as tour golf goes, it's the fastest in the in the world. We we get round probably quite long golf courses to walk, so we get round them in four hours, twenty four hours, thirty. Which is you compare that to say US tour and other tours around the world, that's probably around five. So, mm-hmm.
0: um, I, th- but, I, I think your strat- your um, concept on the the traffic light system I yeah. think it's got a lot of merit.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a bit bit of a different idea, but I think because the everyone. When you when the draw comes out on Tuesday afternoon or Wednesday, you look at the, the first thing you look at the draw is you go, who am I playing with? Oh, they play fast. They play slow. I oh, don't want to be playing with him. Or oh, geez, I've got stuck with two slow players. This is going to be an absolute nightmare. So everyone knows the tour officials know put it up put an onus on those guys that are slow to make them play a bit faster, and then. Once once they do play a bit faster, okay, you're no longer a red light guy or whatever. You're now yellow. If you can get to green, you, you you're good to go because you play with guys. So I play with guys, right? Like Ryan Fox is he's so fast, mm. and if Ryan ever gets put on the clock because it's not because of him, it's because of one of his playing partners, and then it's unfair for him to think that I've been playing fast all day. Suddenly, I get a about I get a really tough shot that I might need an extra thirty seconds to look at and, and I'm on the, I don't get the yeah. time. So um.
0: I could imagine Foxy would be the last person that you would want to get angry.
1: He's a strong he's a strong boy, <laughs> yeah. but he's a lovable he's a lovable boy, Foxy. <laughs> so you'd have to do pretty you have to be pretty strong. You have to do something pretty bad to get him angry, oh, but good. he'd be an angry he's a
0: he's a big bopper. Uh,
1: yeah. He's well you can see where he's he's his dad's dad being with Grant yeah. Fox being the great rugby union player, it's yep. um he's he's built Built like a, he's just so strong in the
0: legs and the backside, and it's just unbelievable how, oh, how, how much. You and
1: his his power
0: yeah. is off 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 the charts. So, back to the traffic light system, just briefly. Would you see that as when the draw comes out that all the green lighters are at the front of the field, and the green light the green lights play with the green lights, and the orange lights with the orange, and the reds with the reds, and the reds if they get slow at the end of the day and they're losing light, you know, and they're obviously on the clock.
1: Yeah. I think that, would, that, that wouldn't that would be a bad way to do it, I think. But probably uh, the good thing with that, that the idea behind that system, I think, is that it you is could not. then, you just know, right. and then you could then put, it could be a green, yellow, and a red guy together, mm-hmm. and it's fine, but if the group's in position, then they just go on as normal. Yeah, right. But if the group gets out of the position, the rules official comes over and goes, John, you're really slow, so you're on the clock straight away. Yeah the the green guy you're you're fine just keep going as you are because we know that you're fast the guy who's yellow if group's still out of position saying after two holes you're going to be on the clock as well mm. so the onus is put on the slow player to then play faster yeah because the trouble with the biggest trouble with slow players that you tee off on the first hole you get through a couple of holes it's all right and then you, the slow player gradually pulls the group back. Rules official comes over and goes to the whole group you guys are out of position you're going to have to play faster so the onus is then put on the whole group to play faster so the slow guy usually plays faster he's able to play fast, so it shows that he can actually yeah. do it yeah. but they're also putting the onus on the faster player to then he's then put under pressure as well so I think the good thing with that system is it would take away the onus on the fast player at any stage having to change his game plan for the for the slower player and, and then it gives an incentive for guys to okay I realise that maybe I've got into a few bad habits like you look at a guy like Patrick Cantlay like I don't he's not deliberately doing it but he's just built up those habits, habits. whereas if the rules officials go look you're really going to have to do something about it you're going to have to play a bit faster otherwise we're going to start penalising then he goes okay I've got to go away
0: and work on the work,
1: work change my habits change my habits
0: so um I don't know if it's fact or fiction. It's reported. Is Brooks's habit of taking extended toilet breaks to get the group <laughs> of slow players on the clock, so he can then play fast? Is that? Do you think that's a genuine oh. uh, strategy? <laughs> I think
1: it's quite a good. It's quite a good idea that he does. He does that, <laughs> and it's it's nice for him. I think because he's got such a. It's easier for those top guys to probably be able to do that to manipulate it a bit because they're. He's got a bit more power over, yeah. over that. And and you look at Brooks, he's such a fast player. Yeah. Um, that. It's that's good. And, and it's unfortunate that someone has to think to do something like that to, to try and change
0: things, I guess. It can't be that hard. It can't be that hard just to go, you know, see ball. I, I'm sorry, I'll, re- want, I'll retract that. It's obviously very hard. Golf is hard, and at your level it's extremely hard. But in terms of executing and walking up to the ball, seeing the shot, if – a good chunk of the guys can do it within the what's the time allowance? 40, 40 seconds. Forty seconds. Yeah. If the majority of the guys can do it in that and execute with a high degree of efficacy, yeah. then the others can. Oh exactly.
1: And I think you're right in that sometimes it can be hard. I don't think it always is though, because the biggest problem with slow play is people not being ready to go. So Yeah, right. The trouble is that when you get to if you're second or third, if you're first of the ball, obviously you've got to do your work, pick your shot, hit it. But where you run into slow players, the slow players. He might be second or third to go. He's not ready, so he starts his routine late. And then it's just little bits and pieces throughout yeah. the round like it might be 6 or 7 minutes after nine holes, but 30 seconds here, 30 seconds there. Someone hits a bad shot, lost ball or something. Suddenly you're way out of position. It's those little things that just build up over time that make it make it worse. So yeah. I think having a I'd like to see the rules fish would be a bit more active and go, I've, I've watched you today. You just really need to, we're going to be watching a bit closer because you just need to improve those little things because everyone's going to have in a, in a round of golf, there's a lot of shots that are quite simple. And then most people are going to have a couple of tough shots around, which I think that's where if you need a minute and a half, did it, Really tough shot. You might be have one foot outside the bunk. You might have a plug lie or something. So you need to think about it a touch more. Mm. That's that's fine, yeah, it's but fine. it's the guys who do it on every shot. Yeah.
0: So, so technology in golf. You know, so you, you mentioned before that you get the opportunity to play a little bit with uh, Mike Clayton. Very outspoken about the ball. Yeah. What's your thoughts on technology in golf?
1: I'm I'm pretty I'm a fair way down Clayton's path. I think technology is yeah. great for great for the regular amateur to improve try and improve their improve their golf and try and make it a bit easier and that but I think for the professional game we need to look at um, pulling it back a little bit to really identify the best the best talent mm-hmm. and identify the best players more because you look at you look at fields over time and, and golf I've got no doubt golfers a golfer 20 years ago to a golfer today there if Jack Nicklaus was playing today he'd no doubt be the best golfer, or Tiger Woods, or, or or whatever, but he'd be playing probably at a higher standard than he did mm-hmm. 20 years ago because coaching's better, training's better, everyone's doing more more things. So it's like 100 meter runners; they the time gets time gets faster over over time. So the golf uh, R&A and USGA probably need to manage manage that better so that the great golf courses remain relevant, and maybe that's. Holding, holding technology, at what, at what level that is, I'm not sure, but I think with a slightly smaller drive ahead um, and a ball that's a little bit softer, spins a bit more, would really help help the game because you look at the US Open last week and that course is set up really tough, but still
0: shooting 13, yeah. 13 under. Did you ever play in your early days with a blatter? Was blatter a thing then?
1: Yeah, I did a little bit in my – probably – well, the ball came in about 2000 was the Pro V1, so I was probably 14, 13 or 14 playing with a ballada and mm. I started when I was a kid playing with a small-headed headed driver. So, And you look, you look at a lot of my, gen- my generation is probably the last one that grew up having to really think about hitting a golf shot, but the kids coming through today, they just hit it hard yeah. and they don't really think about I've got to manage it this way or, or that, which...
0: In what I do, as you know, I sell a lot of golf balls um, via one of the groups that uh, support you, Drum and Golf. So it's a big chunk of the industry. And, uh, you know, the more people lose golf balls, in my opinion, the better. Yeah. But, you know, when I go back to my other career in the the automotive world, you know, you see, like F1, the organizers putting controls in place to try and minimize cost, Um, but then keep fields, uh, keep the racing good. Yep. And, you know, one of the ways I've done that is through the tire and the tires are now controlled. You know, you can only have so many, um, there are control tires in a lot of forms of motorsport. So, you know, you've got a choice of one or two, but that's made to a formula. Yeah. Sort of, I see a bit of an analogy and a similarity to to what potentially could happen with the ball. Yeah. uh, You you can still have your brand on the ball, but the ball is a formula. Yeah. Definitely. And, you know, I just think, how good would it be to see, forget the club technology, but just say put a bolata in there. Yeah. And I thought about this the other day because my dad just came down and visited me and he bought me a sleeve of Max Fly bolatas with the name W Dunk, Billy Dunk, who was a friend of my dad's. And um, he gave them to me So said, oh, you probably have these. And uh made me think about bolata balls again. But imagine going out today playing with a be It'd be, be great, I think. Ball fizzing yeah. around the green, you know, getting those... 20 meter suckbacks and it'd be awesome
1: yeah and you look at uh, I think the best analogy... I think Jeff mentioned it once the you look at ba- baseball for example, and they had aluminium bats coming in and they mm. they had there were two options that baseball had to keep the game in a in a fair balance was they either bulldoze all their stadiums and rebuild them make them bigger mm. or they manage the manage the bats so in golf we've got two options we either we let technology go continue on and then it's hard to whilst they're playing Pebble Beach last week, it's not their Pebble Beach as it was designed to be played same when the President's Cup's played at Royal Melbourne, it won't be what Dr. Alistair Alice McKenzie when he designed it, it won't be played the way he envisaged it to be played mm-hmm. and there's no room so at what point does it get to the stage where guys are pretty much hitting driver at every green and you're losing losing that so there's, there's a stage where it has to has to be managed a bit so that we get to cause f- for for me if if we lose playing the great golf courses um, I won't be turning on the TV to watch mm. watch the game I might be playing as long as I can yeah. to obviously earn an income but I'll, I'll, my passion for golf won't be as much because we play we play a few tournaments throughout the year that we played a new course that was built in Japan a little while ago and it it is just – if that's where golf's going, it's – I've got grave concerns for golf because it's not fun. Well,
0: you know, if you're at the R&A or USGA and you stumble across this and listen to it, you know, there it is right there. You know, someone who want, who earns their income and living and their vocation is to make this game, this game as great as they can for people like me to, as an entertainment product will turn off watching it, you know, because they are – enjoy it as an entertainment product themselves Yeah, that's a fair message
1: yeah and i think i hope well they haven't done anything yet but and yeah. it's and we understand it's a it's a difficult it's a difficult yeah. thing and for oh, no. all the equipment companies it's not an easy but it's i'm sure people are hopefully if it means more people play golf and it's a better product on really great golf courses which is probably why people start playing because it's yeah fun to play a good golf course um, then hopefully more people will play so there'll be more product to sell
0: how long have Drummond Golf been your partner mate this is 11, 11 years. years so it's a fair partnership it's a re- yeah they've I've been
1: really lucky the that's such a Drummond Golf such a I think it's, a, it's such a good family family of a, a business everyone's really close and um, they've they've sponsored me from day dot really which which is really unusual in, in especially in Australia these days mm. um, and I think we've got a really built up a really good relationship over the years and um, I lo- really like what Drummond and Golf do with their stores and they're a really good place to be able to go and, and, and buy equipment and build up a relationship with the store owner and, and those type of things for people going in
0: Good blokes and, and girls, lots of good people down at Drummond Golf yeah, oh, it's it's um Me me included
1: very much so. <laughs>
0: uh dear, I didn't tear that up very well. Mate, um, do you have any other questions? I think I've taken up too much of your time already. But no. been really insightful getting no, all it. those stories.
1: Thanks thanks for having us on. I hope it's um, It's a pleasure. It's um, oh, it's and golf's such a I love love talking golf and all 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 about it and it's nice to nice to go th- yeah, have a chance to go through it all.
0: Well, you certainly do the talking about golf part very well, and, um, you know, long may your golf professional career go on, but I'm sure that maybe one day uh, you could see yourself in the media, maybe.
1: Yeah, who knows? Well, That's, uh, um, yeah, obviously I'd want to play for as long as I can, but yeah. if there's other opportunities out there, and um, look, to,
0: look to that in the future. Do you like the work that Ewan Porter's doing?
1: Yeah, Ewan's doing, yeah, he's doing really well, I think. For someone, it's not always sports good when it's broadcast by people that have been in the game recently, I think. Mm-hmm. And Ewan does a lot of research. He knows. It's great watching the US Open when he's got a lot of knowledge about the different players and, and those type, type of things. It's a um, tough, tough, tough job when you're cutting in and out of a broadcast non-stop, but I, I thought he did it really well.
0: I think he's doing great. Anything else from you, mate? Anything else we should touch on?
1: I think we've, we've touched on a lot, of, a lot of things, so I hope people enjoy it.
0: Mate, well, all the best for the uh, impending birth. It's exciting times ahead. And all the best for the rest of this year. I wish you all the great success up there in Japan. It's a great country. Arigatou Arigato Arigatou gozaimashita.
1: Arigato, arigato zamas.
0: Do itajimashite. Yeah, we can play that. Do <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh I've extended the uh, extent of my Japanese knowledge, but I, <laughs> uh, I have worked for a Japanese company. so. Uh, but anyway, been great, Matty thanks Ross great to chat thank you very much